Hello everyone, I'm Paris Fox, and I'd like to welcome you to 12 O'Clock High, a podcast on business leadership with Tom Fox, hosted by Richard Lummis. What makes a great leader? Is it genetic or can you learn leadership skills? Join Tom Fox and Richard Lummis in this podcast, where they consider leadership from a wide variety of perspectives, academic, behavioral science, history, popular culture, the movies, and much more. You'll learn about specific tactics and strategies that you can bring to your own leadership toolkit. 12 O'Clock High is a production of the Compliance Podcast Network. In this episode of 12 O'Clock High, a podcast on business leadership, Richard Lummis and I conclude a two-part look at leadership lessons from President Woodrow Wilson. In this episode, we focus on his presidency, his illness, and his death. I know you will enjoy it. Hello, everyone. This is Tom Fox, and welcome back to another episode. Uh, Today, I have with me Thomas Gelmi. I hope I got that right. Um, And we are going to talk about his experience in executive coaching and leadership. Thomas, first of all, welcome, and thank you so much for taking the time to visit with me today. Thanks for having me today, Tom. It's my pleasure to be here. I was wondering if you could tell us a little bit about your professional background. Well, um, I've been in the domain of learning and development for over 20 years now, uh, working with leaders across um, organizations, across cultures worldwide. And before that, uh, before I changed into this part of my biography, I used to work in the airline industry. So I used to work for Swissair, the former Swiss national carrier, and um, I was actually a lead cabin crew. Maître de cabine is what, what it was it what was called. Some airlines call it purser. And um, before that, I um, yeah I used to work with a circus for one and a half years. And my first money ever I earned cutting people's hair. So I was a hairdresser in the beginning. Wow, that's uh, quite a varied uh, professional background. It's a colorful biography. Yes, it is. <laughs> Indeed. One of the things that uh, really struck me about you and researching you a little bit for this podcast is you appear to be incredibly passionate about coaching and executive leadership. You talked about being in this field for over 20 years. Why are you so passionate about your current profession? Because I see on a daily basis what is possible. On the one hand side, I see the importance of strong leaders in organizations, of leaders who um, are in a good balance and in good contact with themselves so that they can be in genuine contact and be inspiring and visionary leaders for their teams. And I see how coaching is is a means uh, to to improve the quality of this leadership and, and help people, help, help leaders grow right? Grow into their next level of development. What's the difference between executive coaching and executive sparring? All right. So coaching is always very clearly limited to a certain period of time, and it's very target-oriented. So you define goals in the beginning, and then you work together towards these goals. Sparring, to me, is goes beyond coaching. 
it is a format that may include some coaching aspects, but also other forms of deep conversation. It can include, you know, being me being a, a sounding board to bounce off some ideas or to really just have a conversation about something that an executive may not be able to discuss with anyone else. So why do you maintain that for leadership in the 2020s and perhaps even beyond, it requires a stable personality, someone who is self-aware, knows their own strengths and limitations, and who deals with the issues in front of them in in an authentic, relaxed, and open way? Well, the short answer to that is because everything else depends on that. And to say a bit more about it, I would I would say that, you know, who you are on the inside and how well you are in touch with yourself and in balance with yourself and how know how, how well you know yourself with your strengths and limitations. Everything you do, everything you say, how you treat others, how you react to others depends on that. So the inside has a strong influence on the outside. And therefore, that's really the starting point. Good leadership, more than anything, is good self-leadership. And good self and good leadership development is mainly personality development. Well, that really leads into the next question I wanted to ask you, which is how you coach leadership development. Okay, well, there are different approaches to coaching. Um, Also in executive coaching, there are different approaches. I mostly work by or initiate the process by raising awareness. And one way of raising awareness is, for example, to conduct a 360-degree assessment or feedback. This is a process that can be more or less uh, structured uh, that involves the most important stakeholders of an executive or or, or of a leader um, and asks for their perception, for their feedback. This is usually the direct uh, manager of this person I coach. It's peers on the same hierarchical level, but it's also direct reports and can be other uh, stakeholders such as uh, the most important customers. And this feedback generates a report that we then look at together and we identify one or two main areas for development. And then we start into the actual coaching process where we meet, of course, on a regular basis, virtually nowadays. And from these coaching sessions, uh, the leader comes out with insights, with intentions, and goes back into daily business uh, where the person then practically applies them, observes the impact, reflects on it, and brings this back into the next session. And then we take it from there. And usually over a period of 6 to 12 months, we see the desired changes in uh, mindset and in behavior. And then towards the end of such a process, we do another assessment, another brief survey, so to speak, where we ask the most important stakeholders where they have seen and perceived uh, positive change and improvement. And by doing that, we have a measurable result in the coaching process. 
I'd now like to turn to your book about cabin crew and how that can teach leadership, teamwork, and customer service. And uh, perhaps before we start, could you explain what a cabin crew is, who's in it, and what's their role both up and down the chain? Okay, yeah, that's a very good question. Well, of course, first of all, I, I wrote the book because of my background in the airline industry. Now, what is cabin crew? Uh, in a plane, working crew, you have the pilots, of course, obviously, sitting in the front, usually two pilots. And then everything that happens behind the cockpit door in the cabin, in the passenger cabin, is managed by the cabin crew, which usually consists of one or multiple in-flight managers or pursers that are responsible for leading the crew. And then you have the actual crew, the flight attendants, that um, have two main tasks and two main roles. The first and most important role is the one of passenger safety. So cabin crew is actually on board aircraft because of passenger safety. And the amount of cabin crew directly depends on the number of emergency exits on the plane and the number of passengers, of course. The other role is a more service-oriented role, right? That is attending to the um, to the comfort of the passengers, serving meals, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. That's the role that most passengers perceive, right? Because that's what what mostly uh, happens on a, on a plane, and that's the like the tip of the iceberg that the passenger typically sees. But the main role is really uh, pass- ensuring sa- uh, passenger safety. Many professions were obviously impacted by 9-11, but one of the ones that has to be right up there in terms of additional stresses and pressures mm-hmm. has to be a cabin crew. And here again, in the past year, I've seen the same, mm-hmm. again, in the time of coronavirus health crisis, where great strain and great pressure on the cabin crew. Is that, first of all, a fair assessment? And how do you see those roles have evolved in the last 20 years? Well, that is a very fair assessment, I must say. Uh, the whole industry has changed completely after 9-11 and has continued to change, uh, triggered by many, many events. And the last one is, as you just say, uh, this, this uh, current pandemic. Well, you know, success factors or, or, or main skills that cabin crew need on board an aircraft are, in fact, this this, these personal skills, uh, being uh, able to manage yourself well, and interpersonal skills. And that's really what I focus on in my work. It's personal and interpersonal skills development. And if you imagine cabin crew in a narrow body of, a, of an aircraft working on a 12 hours long range flight, for example, you have everything happening in this narrow space. You have leadership happening, you have teamwork happening, happening, and you have direct customer interaction happening. So it, it's quite demanding, especially um, in terms of anticipating problems and difficulties, very often interpersonal difficulties, and then when they occur, solve them immediately on the spot without escalating them. So in other words, by maintaining the relationship and without the ability to get external external help, 
right? You can't, you can't uh, call the police for help, for example. So it's very, very demanding. And it's, it's a very underestimated uh, profession due, due to that. Now, it has changed, as you already mentioned, already before 9-11, when uh, in the decades before, we saw an increase of so-called unruly passengers, people behaving in an unruly manner because of the stress that is involved in flying for many, for around 60 to 70% of people boarding air, aircrafts uh, have some form of uh, fear or anxiety and are stressed in one way or another and uh, express it differently. So it has become more and more demanding and more and more uh, challenging. That's true. Now, let me turn to the book and ask you, why did you write this book in using your experiences in the cabin crew to help illustrate leadership? Well, first of all, because I can directly relate to it out of my professional background. And then secondly, because almost anybody can relate to it, because I hardly know anyone who hasn't ever been on a plane. So uh, to create this, you know, this analogy, the story uh, in which everybody, you know, can identify and, and, and find themselves when thinking about it. And I used it as a metaphor because of what I just mentioned a moment ago, because it's like a little, a little uh, company. It's a little organization flying up there with everything that happens in other organizations too: leadership, teamwork, customer interaction. That's why. So who is the target audience for this book? Well, anyone who's interested in uh, increasing and improving their personal and interpersonal skills, anyone who has a leader, uh, leading role, a managerial role, anyone who works with others, anyone who is in customer contact uh, can benefit from the principles that uh, are described in this book. And of course, the book is not about... Uh, airline crew. <laughs> That's the metaphor. That's the red threat. The book is about uh, increasing your effectiveness with yourself, your self-effectiveness, and your interpersonal effectiveness. Probably most Americans, when they think of leadership in an airplane, think of the pilots. Yet you focused here on the mm -hmm. cabin crew. And I think, once again, most Americans would say, well, that's really middle management or even customer-facing employees. Uh, mm -hmm. Why select the cabin crew to teach lessons on leadership as opposed to the pilots? Well, because, <clears throat> you see, if, if, we, if you imagine a triangle that uh, every corner of the triangle describes one aspect of, of a manager, a management task, one angle is the manager, one angle is the task-oriented part of the work as a manager, and the other angle is the people-oriented part of this task as a manager. Now, the task-oriented part is management. The people-oriented part is called leadership. You can't manage people. You have to lead people. You can, you can manage a payroll if you want, but you have to lead people. So it's, it's interpersonal. It's human beings, right? And if we look at the, the nature of the pilot's role, 
of the pilot's work is much more management, right? It's systems management. It's process management. It's flying the plane. It's a very technological aspect. Yes, of course, there are human aspects to it in the collaboration between the pilots and the cabin crew, yes. But in the cabin with the passengers, that's where where the the human-to-human interaction is, of course, at the heart of the work. And that's the same in organizations, right? No matter whether you are in B2B business or in B2C business, it's always H2H. It's human-to-human. So that's why, to me, the work of cabin crew um, is much more symbolic for leadership than the pilot's work. I was wondering if uh, you might pick one example from the book that you real life story that you use to uh, to illustrate a point, whether it's your favorite one or or one other that you could tell us about. Oh um, well, there are some many stories in the book, of course. One that just pops up in my mind is a story that illustrates very well how we often make assumptions about other people. So I got these. Uh, I, I got this night flight. I think it was out of Hong Kong, and the passengers were boarding. And then came this um, elderly lady, and she she had a very grumpy look on her face, right? And she seemed to be very well, yeah, grumpy and angry and not very friendly as a person, right? So she boarded the plane, sat down in business class, and. I was in charge there, and I observed that some of the cabin crew, uh, some of the flight attendants who were um, had their duty in, in this section of the plane, already started talking about her. Like, well, oh, she's so unfriendly. Oh, this is going to be a great flight with such a grumpy passenger, etc., etc. And uh, so I didn't pay much more uh, notice to that. We took off. We got airborne, and then... Uh, during the first service, she had the same attitude, and uh, also got. I also got the impression, well, she's not. She's almost a bit rude, huh? not really friendly. And then after the service, as I walked by her through the aisle, I saw she was sitting there, you know, with tears running down her face, and she, she had the seat available next to her. So I, I leaned over to her and, and I asked, Madam. Uh, are you okay? Is everything is everything okay? Is there anything I can do? And she said, "Yeah, could you? Would you just sit down for a moment with me?" I said, "Yes, of course." And so what she said was that her husband just passed away on their during their vacation in Hong Kong, and he was actually downstairs in the hold, traveling with us, right? And so that was, it hit me, it hit me, of course, and it turned the whole situation around 180 degrees. So suddenly, she wasn't the grumpy, unfriendly person anymore. She was just a person who just experienced massive loss, and she was, she was grieving, right? And so what it illustrates to me is that we always only see the facade. We only see the tip of the iceberg. And we we don't know what people are carrying around with them. And everybody has their story or stories. Everybody's carrying their backpack. And we just don't know why somebody may be a bit, you know, a bit, a bit grumpy or a bit irritated, right? So uh, 
what I would encourage everyone who's listening to do is to, um, yeah, be very reluctant in judging why others might behave the way they behave and, and replace judgment maybe by curiosity and, and have a, a compassionate approach to each other, which also is a part of uh, leadership. So we're recording this in uh, late March of 2021. Uh, at least in America, we've been in uh, lockdown started a little over a year ago for the coronavirus health crisis. And I was wondering, has this health crisis changed your approach uh, in training leadership or were you able to transition to the virtual world uh, and be just as effective going forward? Well, for me personally, my business has changed its formats fundamentally. The content and the heart and the core of my work has remained the same. But while I was mostly meeting people in person worldwide until March last year, I was traveling a lot, um, 90% of my work is now virtual. 90%. And every now and then I go out and, and meet somebody in person. But that's how it has changed. And much of this, I'm convinced, is here to stay. Uh, we are probably going to end up in a, in a hybrid mode over the next months and years, even post-pandemic. A lot of our work or much of our work will stay virtual where it can be done virtually. Now, content-wise... And the topics that I work work in and the topics I discuss and develop with my customers and my clients, the pandemic has amplified the topics because this, these human aspects and the, the human factors and the ability to connect, the ability to build and maintain relationships, even under difficult circumstances. What I have been speaking about for years before the pandemic has now become even more important. So the pandemic was really a, a catalyst for change and for awareness. And I'm, yeah, I'm quite grateful for that, even though how can you be grateful for a pandemic, but for the, for the, for the increase in, in, in problem awareness or awareness about these human aspects. So that really leads to the next question, which you partially answered, but I want to uh, perhaps add another level. Um, you spoke quite eloquently about the need for leadership, I'm going to say in 2025 and beyond, and how the pandemic has really accelerated that need. But now if I could overlay technological impact of many businesses, uh, how does a leader really incorporate those concepts into the types of leadership skills that you help coach people with? I'm not sure if I understand the question. How is it? Is it about how to use technology to live this kind of leadership? No, uh, it's more that many uh, companies have moved to a much more tech tech solutions during the past year because of the work from home environments, and that many leaders now, uh, or, or first of all, employees are being think they're being replaced by technology. How can leaders really assure them of that? But how can leaders also use the technology but keep the interpersonal skills that uh, you coach leaders on? Yes, that is quite a stretch, actually, because um, through the virtualization that we experienced triggered by the pandemic, but not only, 
also being part of, of the, the digital age in, in which we live and work. Um, due to this virtualization, the ability to um, connect and build and keep relationships has become more important, but also more difficult at the same time. So I just had this morning, I had a workshop uh, with the title Effective Virtual Leadership. What is different? Well, one thing that is completely lacking is all the informal way of communication and information exchange that usually happens, you know, uh, at the water boiler, at the coffee machine. If you meet someone between meetings and say, hi, how is it going? Oh, can I ask you about this and this? So this whole informal part of collaboration which is so important, is completely missing, is gone. So therefore, one thing that leaders can do is to actively actively uh, stimulate this exchange and create possibilities, create opportunities where people, for example, can have a virtual exchange that does not uh, revolve around tasks and priorities and uh, business-related topics. So some best practices, for example, are to have a virtual open office for half a day per week, for example, where the whole team is virtually online. Everybody is with the webcams on, visible, but we're not interacting. Everybody's working, doing their stuff. We can see each other. We get this sense of community, the sense of belonging, which is a fundamental human need. And if I need to exchange a few words with someone, I can I can launch a separate meeting. That's one way of of working today under the given uh, conditions and with the technological abilities and uh, possibilities that we have at hand. Thomas, unfortunately, we are near the end of our time for this episode, but I was wondering if our listeners wanted any more information on yourself, your services, or your book. Where can they go? Okay, well, the first uh, point of access, of course, is my website. It's uh, thomasjelmy.com, one word. And by the way, yeah, it's Jelmy. It's like uh, gelato. It's an Italian name. That's why it's pronounced uh, like that. So thomasjelmy.com. You can connect with me on uh, LinkedIn or Facebook or Instagram. And the book, of course, can be ordered uh, through Amazon, most popular channel, as a Kindle, as a hard copy um, and it's also available in German for those of you who want to read and can read German. Well, Thomas, this has been a fascinating episode. As things evolve, perhaps uh, we could I could call upon you in uh, six months or 12 months down the road to see where we might be and where you might be. So I greatly look forward to continuing the conversation. Thank you very much. I would definitely look forward to that. Hello, everyone. This is Tom Fox again. I hope you enjoyed this episode of 12 O'Clock High, a podcast on business leadership. Also, check out the uh, article that the podcast is uh, uh, based upon in the show notes. Please join us again for our next episode where uh, Richard Lummis and I will take another look at leadership. 12 O'Clock High, a podcast on business leadership, is a production of the Compliance Podcast Network and a proud member of C-Suite Radio. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.